Welcome to The Strategist, episode 1067. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeil, and with you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. Were you reading from notes that time? Because it looked like you were reading from notes, like you'd written out the script so that you could read it. <laughs> so, I, so I could remember your name. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, that's fair. I get that. Yeah. I, I thought I would make it funny, but that totally makes sense. No. Yeah. I don't want to mix up your names. They're important. You're important people. This is an important podcast, Carter. I'm told. Yeah. Dozens yeah. of people. Listen. Zane Velji, been benched, been benched for the rest of the election. We're not going to see Zane until after this is all He done. was sad, though. He was sad oh. when we told him. I, I don't think <laughs> no, he was. he was. was he? Yeah. He, he was sad, kind of, a little. I mean, sure, yeah. he said, so I don't Zane, care, fuck you guys. But I think there was some bitterness there. I hope so. He's coming yeah, back. It, People don't need to worry. It's the final day, uh, guys. <laughs> I wasn't worried wow, until I mean, you said it. Sounded, now like, maybe we haven't thought is all he, of it. Is he coming back? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Oh, man. Okay. Guys, well. speaking of coming back, um, I have heard some feedback. People have really enjoyed Bob and Margaret. Really? And I don't know. I, I think they were both... Um, patreon episode people and this is not a patreon episode so I, there, there have been requests that uh, that bob, bob and margaret come back that's not how it works Annalise, just, i'm no, just putting it out it's there just, it's not it's gotta be organic the fact that it's been requested yeah the fact <laughs> yeah. that it's been requested makes it now a zero yeah, percent you are absolutely introducing a brand new character right. gonna happen it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> gonna suck uh, it's gonna have this gonna have the same yeah. name it's going to be like hyper confident Bob and like a Margaret who's yeah, quite decisive. Very decisive. These things are just coming to at you. Fuck with our See, I'm just planting the seeds. Planting the seeds. Okay. Give the people what they want. Final, final yeah. few days, guys. We're, am, we're, there's like three days to go. How are you feeling? Um, well, I'm taking nervous poos every couple hours. <laughs> Carter. <laughs> Thanks. It's, you know, it's, Thank it's you how. Thank you so much. That, that explains your underpants yeah, no, metaphor it's, from um, a couple of it's episodes It's how my nervousness yeah. kind of manifests itself. It's in my gut. And uh, it's not been great. It's not been great. <laughs> but, you know, there's only a few more okay. days. How about you, Corey? How about you, Corey? Just to make Carter stop talking. How are, how are you Just feeling? Just totally locked up. Haven't gone to the bathroom for days. <laughs> no. How are you feeling about the election? <laughs> I don't need to know about your bowel movements, well, either of why, you ever. Why are you asking? If you don't need to know, yeah, you're asking yeah. weird questions. Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not in the election. I don't, I'm, I'm observing the election. My biggest anxiety is that I, you have made me predict something that will go awry. So it's yeah. all your fault, frankly. If we're wow. gonna get down to it, wow. Yeah. Okay, well let's uh, let's get down to it. Let's give the people what they want. Let's move into our first segment. Our first segment is called "Read the Tea Leaves." Um, it's Thursday. Oh, Albertans great. who are not advanced voting, they head to the polls on Monday. It's the home stretch. The final few days, guys. What do the actions of the two different campaigns this week in the final week tell us about the actual state of the race? Way in, Stephen Carter, you go. Well, first. I think that our last episode, which might have been Patreon, who can remember? But uh, we were talking it about uh, feints, right? Like we were talking about how Danielle Smith was up in Edmonton, and we saw Vitor Marciano put out his absolutely ludicrous tweet that they were going to win four or five seats up there. Just you wait, just you watch. Six, six seats. Six were in six play. Six seats in play. There's not six seats in play in in Edmonton, in, even if you include the donut. Uh, which Lou has texted me, by the way, Corey, telling me that he did not christen it 
uh, the donut. Oh, I that's, said, who oh, did? Yeah. Where does it come from? Lou did it. When you deny it, you prove that you did it. Right? It's the, <laughs> it's the equivalent of he who smelt it. We're back at square it. one. Yeah, it's okay. the same thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, anyways, there's no, you know, so they were fainting with each other last week. They were kind of, you know, trying to get people to put the wrong resources in the wrong places. But last night we saw uh, Danielle Smith in Calgary Glenmore and, uh, you know, Rachel Notley in Calgary Acadia. And I think that that tells us exactly where the state of the race is. Those those polls, those ridings, we were looking at very early on as being decisive. Whoever wins those two, if, if the UCP holds them, uh, I mean, they absolutely must hold them if they're going to hold government. And Corey, I can't even remember. I mean, this might have predated Annalise, which seems impossible. But we talked about how hard it was going to be um, for the for the UCP um to if they'd lost those two ridings to actually win government or how, you know, Glenmore for sure was going to be one of those tipping point ridings. I mean, we talked about that months ago. And here we are watching these two uh, leaders fight over the uh, the exact ridings that we were talking about. So I think what we're seeing is that it's going to be a close election. And anybody who's got a specific number, like, uh, for example, uh, for, you know, 45 to 42, um, those people are on crack. Like they have no idea really how it's going to end. Corey, what was your prediction again? <laughs> yeah, okay. thank you. Uh, no appreciate that. Nice tee yeah. up. No, I think. Listen, what what Stephen has said, uh, as always, is padded in bullshit. But the the core of it was right. <laughs> it it does seem to be, if you look at where people are pl- spending their time, where they're putting their big rallies. A, it's all Calgary. Yeah. We knew that, right? And and so any suggestions that maybe Edmonton's in play and the UCP's on the march, I don't think we ever believe them, but I we can clearly put that to yeah. bed, right? If they actually thought there were six seats potentially in play in Edmonton, do you know where Danielle Smith would be? Um, Ed- She'd be Edmonton. in Edmonton. She's You're not. Right. So clever. Yeah, yeah. The fact that we are now looking at Acadia and Glenmore as areas where both leaders have spent some time, and certainly we we know from conversations we've had with people where both parties are throwing resources in a pretty heavy way, tells us generally what Stephen has said is correct. Like, this is a very close election. Any seat projection that we've seen, even the ones we dispute, all put Glenmore and Acadia in that tipping uh, you know, point area. Certainly, our own views of that are pretty consistent going way back. Glenmore is a bit of a bellwether. Glenmore is the one that it feels like if you've got that, you, you probably have mm-hmm. the election. And so the fact that people are spending time there, the fact that the parties are fighting over it, the fact that the parties are denying they're fighting over it and trying to show strength and momentum in those areas does tell you a lot. And it does tell you that it's going to be a very close election and it's going to matter a lot how the parties execute this end game and, and run their ground games, frankly. Carter, for those people listening um, outside of Alberta, do you want to just talk a little, and Corey kind of touched on it, but just talk a little bit more about Glenmore and Acadia, kind of like w- where they are in relation to the city, who lives there, who's running there, like just give people your little uh, sure. debrief. Fascinating parts of the city. Um, they they often shift uh, around. You'll, you'll see them move back and forth uh, with different parties and such. Not necessarily provincially, but when you're doing it, fed, you know, um, like again, federally, they elect conservatives across the board. Now, I, need, I know people are shocked, but they're just south 
of where Calgary Center and Kent Hare used to serve for the federal Liberal Party. Um, they're south of Glenmore Trail, which is right on our reservoir. And one of the things that's fascinating about that is it's also kind of the demarcation line of where we really start to see different uh, representation of visible minorities in Calgary. Visible minorities tend to live in the north part. Uh, in the inner city. And then as we move further south, we start to see fewer and fewer visible minorities. been some excellent uh, graphics posted on Twitter showing those the, the, the type of distribution of visible minorities in the city. And, and keeping in mind, we are, I believe, Corey, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but the third most populous city with a, a visit. Yeah, third most, yeah, third diverse. most diverse city. Yeah. So th- it's a significant number of visible minorities in the Northwest and the Northeast, not the South. So when you start talking about uh, Acadia and Glenmore, you're talking about a predominantly white population. These communities are ancient. Corey grew up in one of them, which gives you a sense of how old it is. Um <laughs> So they've been there for a long, long time, and they've been very well-to-do, I think, for a long, long time. Also, you, the silver spoon in Corey's mouth shows itself. So <laughs> this is Clearly. these places, um, when they do switch, like Calgary Glenmore has produced a cabinet minister like forever, right? Uh, but when the NDP won in 2015, keeping in mind that we thought of that as the accidental election, Corey's used this term that I don't recognize called vote splitting. But even in that particular election, there was uh, a 10 vote victory for the NDP in Calgary Glenmore. So when you remove like this potential vote split that other people talk about that I don't recognize, um, you're basically saying, you know, that get vote number is 50% of the population. It used to be 33% using terminology that I recognize. It used to be 35% and you could win. Now you have to win with 50%. That is showing a significant change in the way the population of that area is thinking about the election. And the way that we might equate this is if suddenly the Toronto area ridings moved from being liberal to being conservative. Right. Like it would be a significant shift and you'd be saying, well, that that probably denotes something that means something special in the federal election context. Yeah, you know, here's the thing about Calgary Glenmore, and I did grow up there. It is it is what I would call the first truly suburban riding Mm -hmm. going south in Calgary. Like you can argue about where the suburbs begin, but uh, the way the ridings are split, the ridings north of it have huge inner city components no matter how you cut it as you move towards downtown glenmore acadia those are you know that's glenmore for sure that's the suburbs acadia carries in a bunch of industrial zones that move towards the north actually well north of glenmore trail i should say Stephen. but um but glenmore that's that's suburbs but it's old suburbs it's suburbs built still with multifamily housing in certain areas it's it's a fairly compact riding by suburban standards it is next to a giant reservoir so a big body of water it is surrounded by uh on the west side by the Tsitsina nation so there's you know indigenous influences there and on the south side by fish creek park so the other thing about glenmore and glenmore now is also north of uh the reservoir actually in in lakeview but i guess the thing i would say is that good chunks of glenmore feel like almost their own sort of separate city enclave hmm. and um and and it is it's got certain pockets of density certain pockets of suburbia it's a bit of a microcosm for what we think of as calgary and there's a lot that 
makes it seem like a microcosm, but Stephen is also right. And I want to underline very white. Like at one point, 15, 20 years ago, before the boundary changes, I think it was the whitest riding in the city of Calgary, which is really, yeah. you know, uh, you know, saying something, because if you go into the Southeast, there are some, some fairly non-diverse places, I would say. What, what about the candidates um, that are running there? Do you want to speak to, to that? I, and, um, I mean, in, in Acadia, the fact that you have former cabinet minister there, like I, it, it, it sounds to me like you're saying these are two kind of must-watch places in, yeah. in Calgary. Yeah, well, there's... Well, so what, you've got Whitney Isaac in, in Calgary, Glenmore, and, and you've got Nagwin running against uh, her for the NDP. Najwan. Yeah. Najwan uh, for the NDP. And uh, in Acadia, you have... Diane, Batten, and Chandra, right? Yes, yeah. well, Chandra, for sure. I would have struggled with the NDP candidate, so thank you for the save there, for sure. And um, these uh, these writings uh, do have people who would be considered fairly prominent within the conservative circles. Uh, but Stephen's point, I think, is, you know, Glenmore has, was often considered quite a stable place for the conservatives. It was part of Calgary Southwest federally. Yeah, I mean, it was never so going to so move the, when, when we were running there. Like, there was yeah. no way we could lose that seat. Except, but we so lost can it you to the wild can rest. you speak to the fact? Can you speak to the fact that it, it sounds like you, you like they're they're in play? They're watch. People are watching. It's close here. It's competitive. Like what what, what does that say? What is, about the overall state of the campaign? What it says is there's a breakthrough, right? And so, um, if if you so let, we have to go back in time, and you have to remember the markers that we set out early. And this is one of the things we talked about in the preamble prior to an election. You must set what you're going to measure as success variables before you get to this point. And so Corey and I were talking about this earlier today because, believe it or not, I mean we we talk frequently. It's really gross. <laughs> it's disgusting. Yeah, kind of annoying. Yeah, he won't yeah. stop calling. And um, I, <laughs> you know, when we were chatting today, we were we were talking about. Um, if you had told us that the leaders were both going to be in Acadia and Glenmore on the Wednesday night prior to election day, right in the middle of advanced polling, we would have said that looks very strong for the NDP because these mm. two seats are absolutely going to move after the Northwest. They are absolutely going to move after the Northeast. Like that is the, the way that these things would go. And this is not dissimilar even from the Gondek campaign or the Nenshi campaign, right? The Nenshi campaign, we moved Northwest Calgary first. The Gondek campaign, we were moving Northwest Calgary, Northeast Calgary before we even thought about South Calgary. South Calgary moved at the very, very last second. And that tends to be the model that we see or that I've seen uh, in every election that 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 I've been part of, uh, so I suspect it's the same. Now, even when we were the PCs, and we were getting our asses handed to us, you know, the South was a very different market. You know, the Wild Rose could come in and win in the South, and we couldn't stop them. Like it was a it was a far more right wing space. And you know, watching now, again, if we, you know, when we were talking about this months ago. We were talking about how Calgary Glenmore, if if the NDP were winning in Calgary Glenmore, Calgary Acadia, they were going to win this election. And the fact that we're there competing of, about over it tells us that they're absolutely in play. 
So what what should we be watching for in the next um, like fr- Friday, Saturday, Sunday? What should we watch be watching for in terms of what the campaigns are doing and where the leaders are? Like, let's say leaders come back to Calgary, Glenmore, Calgary, Acadia. What what is that saying? Well, it tells me that they're they're, they're very nervous, right? So if if you know if any leader does two trips to the same uh, to the same space, um, like the same ridings within the last five days, it says they are really trying to win those areas. Um, there's a lot at stake and those areas are not locked or set by any stretch of the imagination. But you can also tell where they're ignoring, right? So if they're going back to those places and instead, um, like, so right now, I don't know where they are tonight, but let's assume they're just in the Northwest. If they went to the Northwest tonight and then came back to uh, Acadia on the weekend, that tells me that they're just, you know, they're far, they're more worried about here than they are up there. And, you know, Northwest has more ridings. There are only two ridings that we're talking about uh, in this south area that are even up for grabs. So with only two ridings down there, it seems really weird that you'd spend a lot of time down here when when you have the ability to to move six ridings in Northwest Calgary. So if you're competing in them, if you're pushing on it, that means that you're more comfortable in these other areas, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, realistically, it's it's a city. It's pretty easy to move from one corner of it mm-hmm. to the other without, I don't know, more than half an hour, 45 minutes uh, difference there. And you do try to spread the love as a political party uh, around. So if you start seeing the party leaders hyper-focus on these two geographies and running multiple rallies, get out the vote activities in Glenmore and Acadia, that does tell you a lot about the current state of the race. Um, in, in general, I think... Whenever you see a leader actually making decisions that seem to be this geography based, it's telling you they they are they are fighting for inches. If you think about it in kind of a football game metaphor, and that tells you it's close. Which is how we think of everything, everything that we've right? seen I mean, in a football game metaphor. Yeah, yeah, we're always talking about football. Sometimes Australian football. We, sometimes we've got not. all of the all the skills, yeah. all the tools. Hey, I gotta say. We don't need three sports called football. No, it's very like, confusing. What's going on with the AFL? It's too much. Yeah. It's keep bad in mind, enough. it did start in the 1800s. So it's been around for a while. No, I refuse okay. to keep that in mind. Not going to do it. Yeah. Uh, it's really, but you know, I guess, and, and not to sound like a broken record, but this is a race. If there's anything that the last couple of days have dissuaded me of, it's either of the campaigns kind of bullshits of like, we got this right. Like, no, this is tight. This is close. And, um, and nobody can be sleeping that comfortably if they're hanging out in the uh, Glenmore's and Acadia's of the world, because if you're the NDP, you're pushing past that to other geographies. And if you're the UCP, you're pushing past that to different other geographies, but they're hanging out here in in the writings that frankly are on the spreadsheet Stephen Carter was regaling well, us with during the if Patreon you didn't episode hear that episode mm-hmm. of, can of you imagine not yeah. spending six dollars a month to get that like <laughs> details <laughs> detailed spreadsheet details on detail yeah you're welcome yeah 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 it yeah. was uh, it was really 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 good because. really really good <laughs> really really good yeah. um okay so what so let's say let's fast forward let's say it's election night and you hear that um that n- numbers in in um acadia and glenmore are positive for the ndp D- does that like what, what what does that tell you it's over if you get both yeah. of those i mean again going back to our pr- our, our earlier 
kind of metrics that we would be anticipating. If it, you know, when you're drawing up your plan, if you win those two seats, you're going to win this election. Um, now, okay, again, everything can go wrong, right? All of a sudden, you know, you you lose a whole swath of votes in in Northeast Calgary that you didn't anticipate. But again, one of the challenges I've had with all the polls in this campaign is this enormous volatility, back and forth, up and down, up and down, when we haven't seen that much volatility in the actual election itself, right? We have not seen, like, Danielle Smith make a run and and just all of a sudden perform really well, uh, or Danielle Smith really shit the bed, right? Both leaders have been very good on the campaign. You know, we, we called uh, the, the debate for... for uh, Smith, but I don't think anybody paid attention because they immediately went on, uh, you know, went and did their outdoor things, Annalise, that you and I would do. Um, yeah, they went camping. They took out their bowl. I mean, I didn't look. I didn't even call it for Smith. It's I, you know, it was ultimately a bit no, of a draw. Just being a little opinion, bit revisionist, but... which I understand, which is fine. You know, <laughs> no, no, but the, the, the no, debate, no, no, the debate one's actually a it good didn't one. Move any minds? Is, yeah, is yeah. Kind of the point. It's a good one yeah. to circle back on because we had kind of left it of like, well, kind of draw, maybe this, maybe that, but it depends what happens in the coming days. And then, yeah, I went camping and forgot about it. Do you see, like, who came out on top a week later? It, it, it was a week ago. Yeah, it's it's totally forgotten. Shrug. It's totally forgotten. <laughs> yeah, it like the the final summation is it didn't matter a ton. Danielle Smith for a day or two had to deal with questions about some of the comments she made that were pretty indefensible, like she was cleared by the ethics commissioner, right? But in a way, she got off super easy by the long weekend because there sure wasn't the discourse I would expect when somebody is is damned that that strongly by an ethics commissioner in the middle of an election. And so, yeah, I mean, I agree. If I, if you told me on election night, hey, I'm telling you nothing about the results except Acadia and Glenmore went for the NDP, what do you think happened? I'd say, well, sounds like the NDP won. Now, I'm going to give a bit of a counter case that I don't really believe, but we've already put some of these pieces on the table. They're not actually that that much like the rest of Calgary, right? They they are a little less diverse, or at least they've historically been. I really wish I had some of the stats in front, but I guarantee you they are less diverse than North yep. Calgary. Mm-hmm. And um, and so maybe something weird or different happened there. But it's that it's that difference from North Calgary that actually makes them super interesting because we do know that the NDP from polling have a massive lead with racialized Canadians over the, Mm -hmm. uh, over the UCP. Right. And so when you think of the more diverse parts of Calgary, it kind of makes sense that they would move to the NDP sooner. When you start seeing the Glenmores and the Acadias uh, of the world changing, you are relying and you're benefiting from the NDP's advantage with women and uh, you know, not so much younger voters, not so much racialized Canadians. And and that tells you a whole different group of people mm-hmm. are in play. Good point, okay. Corey. Good, good point. Jesus. That's nice of you to say. Bang on. Um, let's, let's leave it there and move on to our next segment, which is about negative campaigning. Um, guys, I was on a CBC panel last night. You did um, the CBC with- without us? I did the CBC without you, Alberta at Noon panel with Monty Solberg and friend of the podcast, Jeremy Farkas. Um, anyways, one one of the people in the audience asked, well, they, they wanted to ask a question, but it, they weren't able to. And um, 
they put it in in the Patreon, and I care about our audience, unlike Why? you guys, and unlike apparently the CBC last night. So I'm I'm gonna ask his question, but it kind of relates to this broader topic. Shots fired yeah. at the CBC, though. Are we gonna Ooh, talk about that? Both to you as well. It's it, I'm gonna ask his question, but then let me ask another question because it's kind of like this broader topic. So this is his question. He tells a little bit of a story first. Oh, he God. says. The students I work with are 14 to 15 years old. Yesterday, a few of the more sapient ones realized that they feel disenfranchised with what they describe as the tribalism, the name-calling, and the immaturity of the discourse. Their observations seem to be echoed in the general discourse, at least in the room in Scarborough last night. That's where we were. What would you say to these upcoming voters to engage them and excite them for their future? So that's his question, 14, 15-year-olds. What what would you say to engage and excite? But I want to talk about this, this broader thing, and it came up last night about negative campaigning there were there was remarks um that this campaign has been very negative and i guess there's a question of if you agree with that but does negative campaigning work let's uh let's start with there carter yes negative campaigning works it always works it always worked every single time that's ever been used it is the we have a negativity bias and we also are tribal we like to belong to groups. And that means if we belong to one group, we don't like the other group. And therefore, we shit on the other group. And this is not just something that happens in politics. I mean, there are study after study after study that if you do something just as simple as like assigning one group an odd number and another group an even number, or give one group of, of students a one color hat, another group of students another color hat, they will actively, with, with within seconds almost of being assigned these different groups, actively work to discriminate against the other group. Negative ads work because it, it reinforces our sense of who we are and who they are, us versus them. And we need that. That is part of our instincts as human beings. Now, I will concede those instincts have sometimes got us into trouble, but this is... <laughs> you yeah, don't say. But <laughs> okay. we're not here to remake the world. I mean, you're a teacher. Good for you. Remake the world if you must, but I'm in the way in the business of getting people elected. And if I want to get people elected, you know what I have to do? I have to do negative ads. Negative ads work every single. I used to go to this conference in Washington D.C. campaign campaigns and elections. It was uh, produced by the Campaigns and Elections um, magazine, and I'd go down every year. And every year, the last session of the of the uh, of the of the the entire conference best attended session of the of the conference and it was do negative advertisements work and the answer every year resounding yes and then they would go through each and every negative ad that they saw and i remind you one of the best series of ads in the history of the series of ads is the i'm a mac series and they shit on pcs and you know why it worked because it created an us and a them they're the the nerdy pc users and i'm the cool guy who uses the uh, the Mac. And that's why I have a Mac to this day, so I can be as cool as Corey Hogan. <laughs> Corey is Carter, right? And and not, uh, not just, no, he is not not as cool just as me, ads, no. but like the, the overall campaign vibe in general. Like there was, Janet Brown was in the audience um, adding on the panel last night. And she she said, like, I'm, I, I run these... Um, 20 person citizen panels we track people and i consistently hear they're so frustrated about the negativity oh, give me a fucking um, break janet stay out of my lane i'll stay out of your lane jesus christ Corey, what are your thoughts on on negative campaigns what are my thoughts on negative campaigns well 
1999, there was a strange and idiosyncratic pop hit uh, by Baz Luhrmann called Everybody's Free, parentheses, to wear sunscreen. You may recall this musical gem mm-hmm. where it is reading kind of uh, remarks as a speaker to a graduating class, the class of 1999. And there's a line in there about needing to accept certain inalienable truths. Prices will rise. Politicians will philander. You too will get old. And when you do, you will fantasize that when you were young, prices were reasonable, politicians were noble, and children respected their elders. Right? Here's the reality. This is as old as time. People have bemoaned negative advertising for as long as there's been negative advertising. I'm sure when the Daisy ad was put up, those of you familiar with that particular negative political ad, often seen as the first negative political ad, people thought that was over the line. People thought that was terrible. People said, that's just going to turn me off voting for Johnson. And you know what they did? They then went and they voted for Johnson because it scared the crap out of them about Goldwater. Because those were the stakes. They heard it in an ad. And the reality is much different than what people say, because people know what they're supposed to say about these ads, but people can't help how they feel. And it reinforces their anxieties and it builds doubts in them that they carry to the ballot box. And so why do negative ads continue to be used despite people complaining about them? Because they fucking work. Bingo. So what, Always have. So what, what do you say, let's say you're a campaign manager and... You get those, uh, you know, some key people in the campaign who've been out on the doors who come back and say, like, we're just being hammered at the doors. We're not we're not selling a, a good story. We're we're being so negative. What do you say, Stephen Carter? Shut the fuck up, Bob. Shut the fuck up, Bob. I know what I'm doing. Just get the fuck out of my face. OK, go back and knock the doors. And when they say they don't like negative ads, you say, I don't like them either. I'm going to go back and tell these guys exactly how I feel. And when you don't see negative ads after the election, it's because of me. I mean, it's fucking stupid. Do you want to win or do you want to lose? And I've had that conversation with a whole bunch of candidates who are like, I don't know if I like negative ads. Hey, hey, you don't have to like them. You have to decide whether you want to win or whether you want to lose. And fuck off, Bob. Stay out of my face. Yeah, I, you know, I'm just a, I'm more passive aggressive in my campaign managing. And I would say something more along the lines of, hey, listen, Bob, appreciate that. But did you talk to the the person at the door about the stakes? Did did you talk to them about the need to present this contrast? Uh, it's really important people understand exactly what's going on in this election. Do we feel good about the fact that we need to call out these things our opponent is doing? No, it's terrible. It's terrible our opponents would run an opponent like that. It makes us feel bad that we have to say the things that we have to say that are so negative about them, but it's kind of on them. If they don't want the negative ads, that's fine. Tell them all about our positive message. Hand them this fucking brochure that is all about the things we'll do, the arenas we'll build, move on with your life. But you don't, uh, you know, you don't stand by your ad. Important rule, right? Like you don't disavow these things. And and you can, there's ways to pivot. Like, yeah, listen, I, I appreciate that the ad makes you feel uncomfortable. The content makes me feel a little uncomfortable too. But frankly, I'm at this door because that content is real. And it's discomfort that it creates in you is because it's not a good thing our opponent is doing. Like, this is how you pivot. It's not... Yeah, that was not all of my science, subtext. Frankly. <laughs> 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 uh, 
as in 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 the scheme in the scheme of campaigns, like so th- there was this chatter in in the room oh. that like this this has been a negative campaign just in general, right? Like it's been it's it's been negative it, in the scheme of campaigns. Would you uh, agree with that or disagree? With no, that? no, this is not anywhere near the most negative campaign I've been involved in. Most negative campaign I've ever been involved in is Nenshi 2010. Then she ripped the like the, he treated uh, Barb Higgins and Rick McIver like they were flies, and he pulled their wings off and he and he slowly stepped on them until they were almost dead, and then he would revive them back to life and do it again, and that he did it every single day. And if you doubt me. Ask Barb Higgins, who I still think hasn't forgiven me for that election because it was the most negative thing I've ever seen. Now, we wrapped it up in 14 big ideas, and those 14 big ideas made it look like it was a positive campaign. But campaigns that are negative work. That's how they, that's how, I mean, look at Gondek's campaign. Who did we pick on? Jason Kenney. Did anybody object? No, because they didn't like Jason Kenney. They loved that we were picking on Jason Kenney. They loved that we attacked Jason Kenney. I mean, it's all in the eye of the beholder, but the 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 audience of these things, they don't they don't get to be the experts in this and they don't get to be the ones who decide how we're doing campaigns. It's just ridiculous. Carter, what's the least negative campaign that you've that surprises me about the Nenshi thing? But what what's like in in your scale of most negative least negative? What's the least negative campaign? Drew Farrell, 2001. Drew for Yeah. What was no, yours? Well, maybe. I wasn't... For me, a very the local variant of it, um, and I was involved earlier before the campaign started helping him get the nomination, but Matt Grant's campaign for oh, the Liberals yeah. in Calgary Confederation in 2015. Drove me By far crazy. the least negative If he'd campaign. done just a contrast, just a single... <laughs> well, and he, he lost. Yeah. And if he... So close. He... Yeah, he lost, but he got more votes and a higher percent of the vote than like any other liberal in the province. But it just was a two-way race. But the point is, it was a two-way race because he was so unfailingly nice that he consolidated the Green vote. He consolidated the NDP vote. And it was just, um, you know, it was it was nicely aligned to that Sunny Ways brand that uh, Justin Trudeau was doing. Yeah. Corey, do you have a most negative? Well, I don't know if I have a most negative, but there have been campaigns where there's literally been brawls in the street. If you want to go back yeah, far enough second. here, you don't remember riots twelve when occurred you, outside when you did of the, the fucking website that that slagged the PCs. That was great. <laughs> you don't remember in 20, 2014 yeah. well, sure. when you did the Gordon Dirks website where you couldn't pin the. Uh, oh, that was a know, fun. Tell us fun about thing. your websites, Corey. Okay. I think one of them I know about. Yeah. So the muckraking website. So yeah, in in 2012, there was a, we've talked about it on the pod before, this this, uh, website that was um, uh, toryorwildrose.ca. And you had to guess whether it was a statement by a member of the PC caucus or the Wild Rose caucus. It was basically impossible to tell the difference. That was the point. We also did a couple of other ones that were less well-known, like mortonopposition.com, which was a whole fake website for Ted Morton, leader of the opposition, oh, nice right? Stuff. Like after he yeah. lost to Daniel, <laughs> after after the PCs lost to Daniel Smith, you had to think about who you wanted to be the opposition was part of the subtext of that particular one. 2014, a famous moment, uh, there was a PC cabinet minister appointed by Prentice before he had a seat, then he ran for a seat. Gordon Dirks is his name. And uh, at one of the events, he refused to put on a pride sticker. 
And of course, these were, uh, you know, these were issues very much, first of all, put, put on, on the pride sticker, sticker yeah. be an ally. But mm-hmm. like there were, um, you know, there were also rumblings and conversations about GSAs that were coming. Like it was, you know, it was very much a tense kind of moment. So uh, I was working on that local campaign, created a site, uh, pinned the pride sticker on the candidate. And so the website, no matter how hard you tried, when you tried to click the picture, the picture would move <laughs> and avoid you letting you put the sticker. And it would leave the sticker on the wall behind where so you were good. trying to put it. Brilliant Very stuff. Good, very good website. Corey has a long history of making websites that, uh, that make people I laugh. Know. Well, here's yeah. the interesting but thing. But let me tell you something. Because he did it as f- humor... It was so effective, still scathing, absolutely scathing. But the humor that was involved takes the edge off. And this is the same with that Mac ad, those Mac ads, the humor when it takes the edge off. And that's something that I don't think has been very prevalent in this campaign. There's not a lot of humor in the attacks. They're just attacks. I would argue, though, 2019 was more negative than this particular election. I I find this election actually shockingly positive, given some of the things that are on the table uh, with the various comments that have been made about Nazis and, uh, you know, conversations with Arthur Pulowski. And, you know, frankly, it's not just even on. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just not as negative even as 19, where we were talking about Jason Kenney denying care and comfort to AIDS patients like that. I mean, holy shit. How quickly we forget how quickly we forget how vicious the 2019 campaign was. Well, that it was interesting when it came up last night, because my one campaign experience is the 2019 campaign, and this is not negative at all compared to, to that IMHO. Yeah. Um, what is IMHO? So what, what is to that? Kind is of, that some sort of to wrap, new age to wrap thing that, that up. kids are saying these days? To wrap that up, what what would you say to um, this uh, this strategist listener who works with these 14 and 15-year-old kids and he wants to like engage and excite them about their future? What is uh, What's your message? Be inspiring. By inspiring? Be inspiring. Uh, Listen, um, the, the, we need people, we need to fight more for a better world. And yeah, we're all humans and we all have base instincts and political organizers pull on those base instincts and they try to get the worst out of you if it gets the best result for them. That's the crass and gross reality that we have to deal with in a democracy all of the time. And there's this kind of you put down your gun, I'll put down mine mentality that underlays this all. Yeah, I'll stop doing negative ads the minute you stop doing negative ads. You want to live in this world of fantasies and fairy tales? Sure, but you go first right? Well, none of this changes. None of this changes unless people start demanding change. So, you know, you are 14, you are 15, you see the problem. The problem's there for the rest of us too. We've just become so fatigued and so, so blasé about it. Don't become fatigued. Don't become blasé. Don't become Stephen Carter. Don't become me. Continue to demand more for your politicians and from your politicians. And hopefully you'll do it. But I'll tell you something, like these things don't just happen. They happen when people fight for them. Progress is not time zero. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If you care, you fight for something. And if this bothers you, fight Sorry, for it. Just all, I'm all choked up. <laughs> See, that was inspiring. It really Be inspiring. And you just, look at that, Corey. <laughs> I'm gonna try mine. Carter I'm gonna try mine. Like, I'm gonna try mine. I'm gonna try mine. Hang on. Carter has his lion voice oh coming through. Hang on, just give me a second. Okay. Carter, <laughs> speak speak directly to these 14 yeah. and 15 year olds. Understand that each and every one of you in your class has value. 
Each and every one of you brings something oh, Jesus. to the table. Now, granted, <laughs> some of you are better don't than be the other. Don't be a piece of shit. Right? And what I'm hearing is don't, tr- you know, treat those people like shit. Treat them like shit. Um, treat them this, you know, everybody should be treated the exact same way, regardless of their capabilities. That's what you must do. And that's what called communism, kids. Communism. You don't get the fucking vote in a communist system, you dildos. Jesus Christ. Pay attention. Focus. What are you doing? Stephen Carter, if he was going to play this for his class, that's not happening now. Why not? Can I can I be real and can I tell you why it matters oh so God. much that people who are 14 and 15 get involved, people in their 20s get involved because when you're that age everything's in front of you and you have nothing to lose. You have the most confidence and the most courage and the most moral clarity you will ever have in your life. And here's the reality. At 14 and 15, you think about changing the world. By the time you're in your 40s, you just want your home renovation to go well, okay? (laughs) You have the energy that changes the world. The rest of us kind of follow you around. So fucking go and change the world, and I'll be right there with you. Oh, my God. Applause. We need an applause line. Pathetic. That was good. Maddie had had applause at the 39, 39, 25, Big applause. Yeah. Yeah. That was really good. Oh, God. Okay. Can take uh, the moving ass. on to oh, moving on to geez. our next segment. Our next segment, we're, we're doing three segments, guys. We're doing it like old times. Vote so early. As of 8 p.m. today, I don't know if it's been updated since I checked at 8 p.m. Thursday, the advance vote number is 461,214. Tell us, what does this mean? Um, it means that 460,000 people got up off their asses and went voting. Is that good? Is that bad? Well, here, here's the here. Let's think of it in a couple different ways. On, on one level, it's really good, right? It is beating all of the records from 2019. We have all of these people voting. On the other hand, Elections Alberta indicated that they expected 50 percent. They expected up to 50 percent of the vote would be accumulating during the first uh, the first five days of the of the. Uh, uh, the advanced vote. We're averaging 150,000 votes per day, give or take. Um, and if that continues, uh, we're going to be at 750,000 votes um, by the end of advance. If that's 50%, then that's 300,000 votes less than we got in 2019. So total. total. And that's what I'm, so what I'm thinking of is, yes, these are records. This is great. But over the last decade we've seen a real shift and we talked about it a little bit in the last episode we've seen a real shift of how people um can now vote in advance polls i mean when i was young you needed to have a reason not to vote on election day you needed to actually kind of you know sign an affidavit that wasn't that long ago i know i'm not that old (sighs) um (laughs) so (laughs) so you have this you know now everybody can do it and if it is 50 percent and maybe elections Alberta was a little optimistic, but I think that 50% is reasonable. I actually think this represents a downturn in the number of voters. I think that that's a good indication for the NDP because I think that the reluctant... Walk us through that. The reluctant UCP voter, right? So if, let's imagine there's three types of voters. David Coletto articulated this you know, in, in December of, of last year. Three types of voters. The first type of voter is a UCP voter. They're going to vote UCP, even with Danielle Smith as the leader. They believe in it. Number two, NDP voter. They are committed to the NDP. 
they're going to vote for the NDP no matter what. Number three is the reluctant UCP voter. That reluctant UCP voter doesn't want to vote for Danielle Smith, does not like Danielle Smith, but by God, they are not someone who can vote for the NDP. So they have to stay home or they have to make an unpleasant choice. And if this represents a a decrease in voter turnout, then my belief is they're staying home. Corey, do you agree? No, I, I mean, I think Elections Alberta was probably a bit overzealous in how much advanced voting there would be. We don't really know what the final total is yet because we haven't gotten to Saturday. That's a day of advanced voting, and I suspect that'll be a pretty significant day of advanced voting. But let's just say for fun and for math being simple, it's it's 750,000, so we get 1.5 million under that projection. That's that's one way to look at it. Another is we've never had so many people vote in the advanced polls. And when you look at the Ontario election last year in 2022, they had 10 days, I think, of advanced voting. A little bit of a different system, you know. It's always hard to do apples to oranges. But I don't think 25% of the vote came from advanced polls in Ontario. So my suspicion is Elections Alberta just overestimated the interest in advanced voting. And... Um, Perhaps we're led a bit astray by some of the trends they saw that were more COVID-based around the world. I'm imagining that they based this on some numbers they had 2019, looking at overall trends, blah, blah, blah. But uh, yeah, this is a lot of people. This is a, this is a lot of people voting in advanced polls. It is changing the way people approach campaigning. It's changing how get out the vote works. It's changing how you uh, you know layer in campaign announcements. Today, Rachel Notley... Not new announcement, but a bundling of previous announcements said this will be Bill 1, this will be Bill 2, this will be Bill 3. And I thought, and this will be irrelevant to, you know, 400,000 people who have already voted. And maybe that's okay. This is not an earth-shattering announcement. But you have to think at this point, let's say it does get to 1.6 million because last election was really big. A quarter of people have already voted, that would mean. So everything you do, no matter how great it is, at the very least... It's only going to be 75% as effective today as it would have been three days earlier at the at the absolute best case scenario. And by the time we get to the end of Saturday, if 50% of people have voted, well, that means there's basically nothing you can do that's going to have more than 50% value. Do you think that's sunk in for campaigns, like how advanced voting is kind of shortening the official period? And I guess, does it matter given how at least in Alberta this time around, we saw like a lot of campaigning (laughs) happening before writ had officially been dropped. I think they get it. Um, I don't know that any of us have calibrated to what's best practice because it's a shifting, you know, it's just shifting. And, but I, I've really firmly come of the conclusion that it's pretty baked by the last week and yeah, you can fuck it up. We've talked about that the last couple of episodes, right? You can do suboptimal things, but I'm, I'm starting to feel like, you know, voters, maybe they're making up their mind in the 72 hours before, but they're looking at the pieces that have been on the table for mm-hmm. weeks at this point. Well, the information travels differently, right? Yeah, it, it, it takes a long time for things to actually connect. So, it, it, you know, you could do something tomorrow and it may not connect with anybody for a full week. Um, and, and that's, you know, I've been talking a lot about kind of how people absorb information. We don't collect information. Like we, we read articles, we read stories. We're, we're, you know, we've got discord channels to read. We've got, you know, all kinds of different things happening everywhere. That's not everyone. That's a very, very small percent of the population. And what we do is we then carry that to others, right? Uh, you, you know, 
I'm sure the people who are listening to this podcast are very comfortable getting telephone calls from their friends saying, uh, man, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, should I vote for this person or that person? Well, I'll tell you, the people listening to this podcast are probably also very familiar with the feeling where somebody you know knows you're interested in politics and sends you information being like, hey, I thought you'd be interested in this thing, this poll that came out. And the poll is three days old. And you're like, yeah, I fucking saw that within an hour (laughs) of when it came out because of the social media networks that I live in, right? That gives you a sense of the delayed reaction a lot of the public is actually carrying for these things. And, And it should give you a sense of like, most most of the conversations about politics are not as immediate, as urgent, as a kind of events driven as conversations on a podcast like this are. Okay. Um, let's leave that there and move to our lightning round. Um, lightning round, guys. Pulowski, he spouted some nonsense Listen, for an hour. Corey and I did our special episode last night, and. Uh, then we decided not to release it. <laughs> Did yeah. we? Because the, yeah. the episode was uh, me saying, Corey, did you see that? And Corey said, uh, yeah. And we said, do you think we should talk about it? And we said, no. And that was the whole fucking podcast right there. It was, And then we didn't release it because uh, it was pretty short. Well, because of growth. Because I want to tell you, six months ago, we probably yeah. would have released it. You know? <laughs> With 50 minutes of yeah. silence after it. Yeah. Do you remember that time that we released, uh, it, it, in our little hiatus, we released an episode that was just static? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we haven't yeah, grown that much. Is that for real? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there was... Yep. How how long of static? It's like an hour. Oh, yeah. 60 minutes. Like, you got to know, you got to see it in your feed and think, oh, wow, they've released an yeah. episode. Wow. See, we're not important. super thrilled wow. with us that day. As I recall. <laughs> were, were they spouting off in the Discord? We didn't have a Discord. Uh, this no Discord back then. Oh. It was okay. It's just fine. Okay. Um, so so Pulowski spouted nonsense for an hour on the steps of the legislature. Um, you know, he said he was offered a cabinet position by the UCP, a lucrative government paid job to keep his mouth shut. He talked about a $2 million bribe. If, if I guess two questions here. Uh, if you're Daniel Smith, how how if you how do you respond to something like this, and what do you think of how she did respond? Okay, well, I I hate that. Like, I feel like this is obvious, but I'm going to say it anyways. These things didn't right. happen. Like, they they clearly did not happen. Um, Pulowski did not get offered $2 million. Show me the mechanism through which that's going to work, Art. Like, that's just not going to happen. He was offered either $2 million or get to run as a fucking candidate. Like, these are not even... This, this is crazy talk. Like, none of this works. They're going to let him run as a candidate? They've dropped candidates for way less. Way less. About, you know, than things that Arthur Pulowski says every fucking week. There was no way he was ever considered by anybody ever in any official, quasi-official, non-official, nearby sense to be a candidate for the UCP. None of this happened. This is all nonsense. Has he said it to his friends before? I bet he has, because he seems like the kind of guy who would just make stuff up about, yeah, I was talking to them and they offered me two million. For, can you believe how corrupt they are, these guys? And they say, hey, Art, you got to call them out for that. You got to go on the steps of the legislature and put them on blast. And so he did it because that's what that's what really unhinged people do. None of this happened. Like it, it didn't happen. The call even, the tape that we do have where Danielle Smith 
is is talking you know a lot has been made of the introduction being like oh yeah no i followed your your work for a long time does that sound like the introduction of like hey arthur yeah you're the guy we were going to give two million (laughs) dollars to like does any of that seem congruous does any of this work none of this happened right so what was with danielle smith's response like what was it being like uh to my best of my recollection this didn't happen and to my knowledge none of these conversations weird hedge I, were they going for kind of like, I don't know if they were going for like almost like ironic understatement, almost thinking it would be really funny because it was so outrageous. But like, you know, politics, elections, not the time for that kind of clever. You just have to shut it down and be like, the guy's crazy. None of this happened. Y'all, you know, moving on. And I think everybody would have said, yeah, well, based on what he said, fair ball. Yeah, yeah that's what you should have done. Okay, wise words from Carter. <laughs> Just agreeing with Corey. What, what do you want me to do? Um, you want me to do the same thing? Yeah, and then uh, yeah. No. Actually, can you argue? I want you, you argue to argue the, the other side. Yeah, yeah. Argue the other side. It, are, I, I don't have no idea. I don't argue sure. the other side. Like Danielle Smith. I, I mean, the guy's a nutcase. Like, what do you want? The guy's a nutcase. But here's the thing: you don't talk to nutcases. You know. You don't talk to nutcases. But yeah. Oscar Feck. So there's a Oscar fundamental. Oscar Feck was a funny guy, you know, you... you know, hated everything. Hated the, you know, I won't get into it because Corey always makes that funny face when he says, he's the Jews. Uh, yeah, doesn't yeah. let me do that. So don't do don't it. Don't do it. Oscar is a racist. Oscar, uh, Oscar was a bigot. Oscar ran for office and he had all these delusions of, of, of what was actually happening. You know what you don't do? You didn't see Dave Broncogne picking up the telephone and going, Oscar, I know you're running against me in the next election, but you know what we need? We need to get together. I got $2 million for you if you don't run against me. Like, it's just, it's bullshit. Good Dave voice. Very that accurate. Was, so that accurate was, not. that was my Dave Broncogne voice. <laughs> well, like, have, have you ever met Dave Broncogne? I'm just curious. <laughs> like, seen him on TV even? or Oscar! Dave Broncogne. Okay. Okay. So you 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 okay. Okay. Next I, next. I think it's getting worse. Next I think it's getting worse. Question. Speaking of Dave Broncogne, speaking of Calgary City Council, my favorite. Oh my topic. god. Guys, some drama on uh, on on Calgary City Council. So. I'm just going to debrief this a little. I actually haven't paid attention to this. And then today, several people were texting me about it. So I read some stories. Basically, there is a wonderful firework display that happens in Calgary on Canada Day. Um, Corey would know because there's very good visuals. You can watch it in Crescent Heights. Che. Tons of traffic che. comes into the neighborhood. Che. If yeah. you're in Che, from the, from the edge of Che... Beautiful. No one calls it that, but everyone everyone comes. There's a shirt. If you go to the strategist.ca, you can show your Che Pride purchases shirt. Yeah, no one has purchased it because no one calls it that. I was on the community association. I know the neighborhood. I do know that that a lot of people come and watch the fireworks in Crescent Heights. The both sides, the west side and the east side, that is not called Che. It brings us together. It brings us across Center Street. Yeah, the people in Che and the people in Chu. Not what it's called, CHW. Okay, anyways, Canada Day fireworks. Um, So a week ago, the city said, we're not going to do our normal fireworks. And they said there was a few reasons. They said cultural sensitivities. It was related to truth and reconciliation and the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Immigration Act. They said the fireworks, they're not good for birds. 
Um, they disrupted traffic. They're noisy. They bring crowds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They said they bring, bring crowds. crowds. We don't As like a, that. Yeah, the crowds okay. are coming, eh? Like noise, crowds, traffic. I mean, it, it was really disruptive in Crescent Heights, right? Um, so they said we're going to do more of like a light and sound show from a stage at Fort Calgary. Obviously, it was going to be a pilot project. They were going to try it out. It's a pilot project. People were upset. Um, So I guess there was an online petition from Common Sense Calgary. Uh, People were raging about this. And then today, I think today, 10 city councillors, they drafted this motion that says like, hey, city admin, move ahead with a fireworks show. And then also today, city administration said, hey, guess what? Normal fireworks are back on the table. So that's kind of the lowdown of the situation, as best I understand it. My lightning round question for you. There's Carter, you one more piece that needs to come in. And that is that city oh, administration okay. said it was going to be impossible to reinstate the fireworks for this year. Now you may continue. Oh, I missed yes. that. Okay. I wanted to make sure so that the, that was This clear. shows because I'm several days yeah. late to the story. Yeah. Okay. So my lightning round question, you guys are strategists. What do you think of the strategy here, and what what should have been done? Carter, here's got the his thing: hand up. City of Calgary Communications is the worst communication structure in the whole world. Like it is terrible. Um, I don't disagree with them necessarily on the fireworks problem. I think that fireworks do create are, are a problem. But if you're going to cancel the Canada Day, hold up, pause, pause. What what is the yeah. problem? I think with they're fireworks? really bad for dogs. I think they're really bad um, for the environment. I think that uh, you know that there is a um, a sense of you know a lot of a lot of animals have a really negative reaction to them. Wild animals don't do well with them. I just don't think that they're necessary. But Having said that, we do an 11-day festival with a fireworks show every day. We also have another festival called Global Fest, which is essentially a, Corey, fireworks, fireworks festival, festival yeah. where people come from around the world with their, their cleverly created fireworks. Um, this, it's a music. Yeah, yeah, and this is a, a it's a beautiful festival. It's fantastic. So almost all of these arguments that were used by the city administration could be applied to those other two things, but they're not going to. They just made it about Canada today. And you know what? I get I get the reconciliation questions. I get the Chinese uh, uh, Immigration Act. I mean, these things were not great. Uh, they're not great now, but I'm not sure I understand how the fireworks is going to solve anything, right? Giving up on the fireworks. And the fact that this was a decision made by administration and then administration told city council, I'm sorry, but fuck you anyways. We're not going to listen to you. We don't. You don't have a role in determining what the outcome of this decision is. The fact that they said that tells me that these people need to be fucking taken out back and fucking fired because it's all over. Like, this is not the way city administration and cities are supposed to run. This is not the way. Tell us what you really oh think. Oh my god, Stephen I can't stand Carter. them. Oh my god, they're so bad. There's only 400 of them, so many, it would have been tough to write them this listen. Thing. Many of them listen. Not anymore. To this podcast. Not Corey. anymore. <laughs> Jesus. Corey. Well, I'm just sitting here a little stunned by some of the. You know, um, yeah. I yeah, I have so many. They they should have had the fireworks display. Let's just start there. I don't like fireworks. It's not even I don't. Stevens probably said some legitimate things. I haven't looked up the effects on dogs. I don't have a dog, but uh, you've got three yeah, kids though. Do, do your kids like fireworks? Yeah, you know yeah, what? Kids do, love fireworks. Kids, kids are simple. Here's the point. It's like I feel that we invented television, and I don't know why fireworks still exist. But 
the fact is they're they're a kind of a celebratory thing. There's something people really enjoy. People go to them. People watch them. They bring people together. I think crowds is almost the point. Seems like a funny thing to be complaining about. And, you know, they're, they're a, a chance to celebrate this country. And I, I you know what? I'm just going to say I less get not having fireworks um, be, because of Canada's troubled past. Canada's troubled past is something that we need to talk about and we need to embrace. And yeah, things like the use of Chinese labor on the railroad was was really quite terrible. Internment was quite terrible. Uh, the treatment of indigenous peoples has been quite terrible. And the list does not end there. But Canada as a concept is not the sum of all of our actions for the last 130 some years. Canada is is supposed to be something more than that. We're supposed to strive to be better, you know, and, and, and the celebration of that striving of trying to be a beacon in the world is the point. That is the point. And to cancel the fireworks and to rain on Canada day is to me, I like, I, I don't, I do not understand it. I do not understand it because fundamentally I do not want to live my life feeling terrible about everything. I want to be optimistic about how I can make things better. I want to take some of that 14 and 15 year old energy we were just talking about. You're, je- and I you're want jealous it for our of country. those kids. I, I, I am jealous of those kids. The drivers made me cry. There's that voice again. No, but harder. I'm serious. Like, I, like, we cannot let our national holiday be something that we cancel because in the past, many times yeah. we have sucked. We got to look right? forward. We need to yeah. be better and we need to celebrate the better and the potential of the future. And that has to be what Canada but Day is about. Do, do you think the city should have, um, I guess, do you think they should have seen this coming slash do you think they should have doubled down? They should have doubled down. They're not like, good at this. But, they don't see anything. But, but sh- should, should, they, should they have doubled down? Like when they're no, like, hey, we're going to no. cancel this and then huge outrate. Like now they've just had a week of like headlines showing how dumb they are to Carter's yeah. point. Mm-hmm. So the first thing they should have done is not do it. The second thing they should have done is immediately surrendered on it. They should have been able to assess that this was a losing issue for them instantly for many of the reasons that Stephen Carter talked about. Hey, we do fireworks all summer. We're just going to cancel our national holiday. What the fuck are you talking about? Right? It's unreal to me that they couldn't have assessed this quicker. And we've talked about this on the pod many, many times. The first thing, the first thing I say to any crisis client of mine, whether it's like somebody I work for or it's somebody who's paying me money to do it, like as a consultant is, is there a chance you are wrong? You know, do not sit there and defend the indefensible for two weeks to be dragged bloodied to the inevitable conclusion. Sit, turn off your defensive mechanisms, ask yourself if you're right or wrong. Really assess whether you stand a chance in hell here or if you are just in an absolute lose situation. And they should have been able to determine they were in an absolute lose situation instantly. And they should have lost fast instead of, to your point, being bloodied for a week on this particular matter, making things exponentially worse by saying stuff like it's impossible uh, of course it's not impossible yeah, give a guy, in 35 give the days company to get a call and say hey listen do you got you got anything that goes boom uh if yeah. you do can we can we buy <laughs> some of those things that go boom like give me a break no come on listen the stampede to your point is a week yeah. later is it impossible in 35 days how about 45 days because you can just grab from the end of stampede and those those fireworks <laughs> there right. there are fucking options here is the point and you sat there and you lied you lied you know to do the thing you wanted to do instead of failing fast and council was about to kick your fucking ass over it 
And that's is, when you surrendered. And that this was This is huge why mistake. I think that someone in administrations has to be let go. They lied. No, they I'm not lied. going that far. You, I'm not going Corey, that far. Corey, let me ask you a question. You worked in government, right? You were pretty good at it? Pretty good at it? I did. How many times did you yeah, lie to your government <laughs> to to your elected officials? I, I mean, no, I didn't well, lie to elected officials. Why didn't you lie to elected yeah. officials? Because obviously you think it's okay for them to lie to elected officials. Why didn't you? Do you have just a personal integrity that's higher than everybody else? Does your personal integrity no, better because, than theirs? Because the system only works on oh, trust. Oh, hold on a second point. here. So when city administration lies to city council, that system is broken because trust is somehow broken? Someone should get fired. Boom. Winner. Dan. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> no. Fireworks. Okay. Fireworks, baby. Fireworks. <laughs> yeah. So people have broken trust with politicians. They do it all the time. You know, there are ways we deal with that short of termination. Absolutely. No, we terminate right That's now. I'm fucking firing people. I'm making some calls. This is going to We should have done... This is lightning round. We should have done an entire episode on it. It's too bad it's an election right now because oh, we just you know don't have time for it. Final lightning round question. Those 14 and 15-year-olds who are still listening, no. what are your final words for them? I'm sorry. Go yeah. to bed. I don't care what time you're listening to this. Go to bed. <laughs> I'm done yeah, being nice off. to you. Okay. We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1067 of The Strategist. My name is Annalise Klingbeil. With you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. <laughs>